Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm John. We're doing things a little different this time. We're doing a post-race show after the Daytona 500. And for somehow, Clayton's letting me run the show tonight because Clayton spent the afternoon at the Daytona International Speedway. Clayton, good to have you with us again. And welcome again, folks, to Talking in Circles. Yeah, thanks, John. I'll tell you what, it's, uh, it was a interesting speed week, to say the least. A lot of carnage. There's sure, I'm sure there's a lot of team owners that aren't very happy right now because they spent a lot of money, a lot of time in the in the uh, wind tunnel, in the aero department to uh, get these cars and these trucks, whatever you want, whatever they ran this weekend, as as sleek as possible. And uh, as to today's Daytona 500 proved, uh, it was all kind of useless because I think there was about four or five cars maybe at the end of that race. Even the winner, Kurt Busch, had a damaged car in victory lane. So there's about four or five cars at the end of that race that weren't damaged. So all that money, all the time they spent getting these Daytona 500 cars as sleek as possible, um, kind of pointless now when you look at it. A lot of wrecks in Xfinity, a lot of wrecks in the truck series. We'll dive into all that. But um, a very interesting speed week, no doubt about it. And I uh, ended up with Kurt Busch in victory lane tonight. It was a great race. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Chase Elliott, Dale Earnhardt Jr. brought him to green. The Ford stayed locked up for most of the day. Uh, you saw some great power. Uh, Stuart Haas coming to Ford for the first time. I don't think that turned into a question. And one of the things that we saw early in the race, the Toyotas ran this race like a road course race. They pitted backwards. They all hit lap 19 and hit pit road. Came out the first uh, segment was caution-free. And at the end of the first segment, Kyle Busch was your leader. Kevin Harvick was second. Ryan Blaney in a backup car third. Brad Keselowski fourth. Dale Jr. fifth. Kyle Larson sixth. Jamie McMurray seventh. Denny Hamlin eighth. Jimmy Johnson in a backup car was ninth. And Danica Patrick rounded out the top ten out of the first segment, which ran caution-free, Clayton. And it looked like they had some. they were mixing it up really good. People were doing well. I mean, the Fords were showing their muscle. But Toyotas did things a little different by pitting backwards like it was a road course. Yeah, I didn't really like that strategy. Uh, obviously, it, it burnt them in the rear because uh, you saw some issues with Eric Jones coming on pit road. Daniel Suarez had a heck of a time in his first live pit stop in the Cup Series. That's what you know. You have to keep in mind there, too. This is their first pit stop in the Cup Series. Sure, they've done it in Xfinity, but they're a little bit nervous. And you got a couple of young drivers there in that fleet this year, and I think you know it proved it proved detrimental to them because they're sort of sitting there going, "I feel like you put yourself in an opportunity where you have to be perfect there because if you're not, you're going to lose the draft, you're going to lose your teammates, and I feel like that puts pressure, more pressure, more pressure on the on the drivers, and it, you know, true cost to Daniel Suarez, no doubt about it. He overshot his pit stall, then he. Uh, spent on pit road, then it looked like he spent on pit road again, then it would be a loose wheel on, on one team. So it was a crazy, crazy uh, first pit stop there for Joe Gibbs Racing. I didn't like that strategy. I understood what they were trying to do. But to me, they're a good enough team. They're a fast enough team to where they can win the Daytona 500 by staying in the normal strategy. They're, they didn't need to do anything funky. I think if you're a team sort of the back end of the field like BK Racing, or a team like that that might not have a shot any other, any other way, then I understand that because you're sitting there putting yourself in an interesting spot because you go, well, they're going to have track position. Um, Joe Gibbs Racing, I felt like, is a good enough team to get up there, and they kind of put themselves behind. Uh, so I didn't really understand that strategy at all, and, and it really put them, uh, most of those teams at least, in the rear end there, that, that first segment. When we start the second segment, everybody starts clean. They're running well. 22 laps into the second segment, here comes the Gibbs cars and the Toyotas again, running the backwards pit strategy. 
And then 45 laps into the second segment, which was 60 laps, Kyle Busch cuts a tire, takes out, and most of the Toyotas are running at the very end of the lead lap. Junior was leading the race, and he was about the fourth, fifth car deep in line. But when Busch cut the tire, he took out himself. He took out Dale Jr., took out Matt Kenseth, um, Eric Jones, Ty Dillon, and Elliot Sadler got some damage in the wreck. But that's the first one of the day. There was plenty more to come, but I mean, you got to wonder if the backwards pit strategy puts them at the very end of the lead lap where they're doing everything they can to stay in front of the leaders caused that accident. Yeah. You know, it was an interesting, again, it's an interesting strategy. I think you put yourself in an opportunity there where, like you said, they got to run as hard as they can because, you know, I was listening to other teams radios and they were saying they were catching the leaders by two tenths a lap, two tenths a lap, which is crazy to think about on a super speedway track, considering how many cars were in that pack. And it was just the fact that they had fresher tires. Um, and obviously tires didn't mean a whole lot. I think most teams went into the, um, into the race where they said, Hey, uh, we're going to change our left side tires twice, but it seemed like at that point in the race, uh, tires seemed to be a lot and, and pit stops seemed to be very important there. And, uh, listen, it took out Dale Earnhardt Jr., who um, was a favorite in that race. You know, he sat on the outside of the front row. It was his first race back that, since, you know, July. So it took him out of that race, and a lot of people thought maybe he could dive a little bit lower there. I thought if he dove a little bit lower as hard as he did there, as hard as he could, he probably would have spun his car out anyway. Uh, but it, it really changed the game up because we didn't see a big-time wreck prior to that, like you said. Uh, David Reagan, I think, got in the wall before that. But it, as far as big time, you know, lot, big time, lots of cars getting taken out. Uh, like we saw in Xfinity early on in, in the truck series race, we had lap three, we had an incident. Uh, we didn't really see that early on, but in Daytona in, in the 500, it was this, it was this wreck here. Took out a lot of cars and took out one of the favorites in Dale Earnhardt Jr. After the race, J- Jr. said he enjoyed the entire week. He had a lot of fun. Uh, everybody was looking forward to getting back to the racetrack. It meant a lot to him. He's sorry he wasn't able to deliver a better result today for the fans and everybody that was looking forward to today. He had a great car. He said, at least we went out leading the race. He said, I don't know exactly what happened. It looked like Kyle Busch had a flat tire. He turned left, but you're also out of the gas, and you get it on the splitter, then it goes straight. He said, it's going to be a fun season. They have great. Their spirits are high. It's not the result they wanted, but it was a great week. And as the second segment wrapped up, Kevin Harvick was your leader, Joey Logano second, Kurt Busch third, Brad Keselowski fourth, Danica Patrick fifth, five Fords in a row. Then you had uh, A.J. Allmendinger sixth, Clint Boyer seventh, Kyle Larson eighth, Ryan Newman ninth, and Ryan Blaney tenth. So two segments in, Kevin Harvick has 19 bonus points, which will show up later as a big way that this uh, these stages are going to show as the season goes on because at the end of the race, Harvick finished 22nd because on lap 128, we had the first big one where Jamie McMurray decided to take it four wide and Jimmy Johnson was not pleased about this one bit. He said uh, the wreck could have been avoided. It wasn't called for the whole back straightaway. He was getting hit. His rear tires were off the ground. He knows there's a lot of energy behind him in the pack. But that early, they didn't have to take the, they didn't have to take that chance. He found the whole straightaway and finally got into turn three. He said he hates it for Lowe's. He hates it for Chevrolet. We'll be off to Atlanta next week and see what we can do there. But that wreck took out the, I mean, took out Kevin Harvick. These are all the cars that were damaged in the wreck. There were 16 of them. Harvick, Trevor Bain, Danica Patrick, Denny Hamlin, Clint Boyer, Joey Logano, Joey Gase, Matt Benedetto, the 34, the 37 of, yeah, Landon Castle, uh, Chris Buescher, Kurt Busch, Kyle Larson, Jimmy Johnson, the 75 of Cole Witt, I'm sorry, the 75 of Brendan Gaughan, the 78 of Martin Truex Jr., and the 96 of D.J. Pennington, all 16 damaged in that wreck. And it just it was, was McMurray trying to do too much too soon, it seemed. It seemed like it's, it's a shame because when I came into this race and everybody asked me the favorites, you know, I have a couple of, uh, of buddies down here we talk to and we hang out with, and uh, they asked me who the favorite was. I pointed out one car. I said, listen, I saw what he did in the, in the duels. 
he was very aggressive, but that car was fast. And they have Hendrick engines over there, of course. So you know the engine and the horsepower is going to be really, really good. And he was fast. And we saw what Larson did at the end. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But we saw what Larson did at the end and really, you know, impressed you with how he could move through the field. Uh, but it just showed you how good those Ganassi cars were. And Jamie is a guy who I think is very good on restricted plates. But I think he was a little too aggressive this week. No doubt about it. You know, uh, I heard from somebody at Dale Earnhardt Jr. said that that one car, even before he, came, he went out of the race, that the one car was going to wreck somebody, that the one car was going to cause a big wreck, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. hit the nail right on the head because the one car did it. Um, it's unfortunate. You know, in these plate races, it's a split-second decision that can cause, with how close they run, that can cause a big, big wreck. And unfortunately for McMurray, who, you know, for until that wreck was probably in the top five, top ten most of the day, um, was fast, and uh, took him out as well, who I think was a big contender in that race. I really do. I thought McMurray was a guy you looked at and said he was a big contender and uh, took him out. And really, as we get later in this race, John, something I found interesting was, you know, it just seemed like all of a sudden the past Daytona 500 winners were fall, dropping like flies uh, as we get a little bit later on in these ra- in these wrecks. But, you know, like you said, uh, Harvick, who won this race back in 2000. And seven, he he got caught up in that wreck. It just seemed like everybody, all of a sudden, we were going to have a new Daytona 500 champion because all the past winners, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Matt Kenseth, were caught up in a wreck. Jimmy Johnson, uh, it just seemed like the past Daytona 500 champions, uh, McMurray, were out of the race. So uh, it was shaping up to be a you know a first time Daytona 500 winner. And Harvick said um, after the wreck, he said, we had some cars up there that had no business being up there and wound up doing more than their car could do. I mean, they ran out of talents, basically what he's saying. He said he felt he had the fastest car in the field. They were in contention for both segments, and now it's all tore up. It came to an end. He said, what do you do? Fastest car I've ever had here, and it's kind of disappointing. And what that scare that should scare some of the field, considering how good Kevin Harvick ran with Stuart Haas racing whenever they were aligned with Hendrick motorsports and getting their chassis and motors from Hendrick and Kevin Harvick saying, this is the fastest car I've ever had. And it's their first race with Ford. Yeah. And, and listen, the Fords are fast all week and no doubt about it. I think when you think about uh, who was the class that filled the speed weeks, who really won speed weeks, I think you look at the Ford camp. Um, yeah. You know, Chase Elliott and Dale Earnhardt Jr. sat on the front row of the Daytona 500 um, and but but I think in general when you talk about people who coming into this race, people who are favorites, I think the four, everybody pointed to the Ford camp and said, hey, they really had a good speed week. Clint Boyer looked fast. Uh, Joe Logano and Brad Kozlowski were fast. Listen, I thought the 21 car was an underrated, a very underrated race for him and a very underrated weekend for him. I thought he was the fastest car on a racetrack. I really did. I thought that 21 car until he got a little bit of damage in the wreck we were just talking about, I thought Ryan Blaney was unbelievable. That 21 car was unbelievable this weekend. They really, really had a good weekend. They got a little bit of trouble, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I'm sure, with a little bit of an accident where after this wreck, uh, they they didn't pull out the rear fender and they were going to pit and, and cause some other trouble. But And I thought that was a bad move by Jimmy Bowens. I thought he should have brought him in there. But other than that, I thought the 21 had a really, really strong weekend. Um, and they should be proud of themselves. And, and I'd say Ford in general was just, as you look at it and what they've done this Speed Weeks, I think they can say Speed Weeks was a win for them because Stuart Haas cars are fast, the Penske cars are fast, even the Roush cars showed some life there for a little bit. Bain ran up front, he finished 10th. So uh, a very good Speed Weeks for Ford, no doubt about it. Yeah, lap 135 is the accident you're talking about where Blaney was looking like he was heading toward Pitt Road. And it wound up catching Trevor Bain, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Elliot Sadler got caught up in that mess. Uh, another one came up with 51 to go, where the 23 uh, and 75 got into it. Um, Brendan gone and brain dead on the 23. Um, but Joey they got Gage. into it. Joey Gase, they got into it with 51 to go. But whenever they came back green again, Cole Witt was leading the Daytona 500. And as our uh, crack staff put together and told us pre, pre-show, pre it was the first laps led by that organization, TriStar Motorsports, at the cup level since 1995 wow. when Loy Allen Jr. led 
in the old 19 car. So it was an impressive day for TriStar Motorsports. I mean, Cole Witt was up in the mix most of the day. I mean, he they had some really good runs. And as after we finally got through the carnage, the last 40, 50 laps were pretty much green, and it was a great run to the end. Solid battle, different people taking chances at the lead. Martin Truex Jr. getting up there. Chase Elliott getting up there. Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, uh, Austin Dillon, Casey Kane led laps this year, the first laps he's led since last year. They all took turns leading laps, but the 41 just kind of sat in there and realized that his car was pretty damaged. It was interesting listening to the post-race show and the interview with Kurt Busch and the interview with Tony Stewart where they both talked about that car was banged up enough that they really had to just stay where they were. They had one shot at it, and they waited till the last lap. And Kurt Busch came out of the last lap, made it three wide, got past everybody, uh, pulled away. There was some cars running out of gas on the last lap because it turned into a fuel mileage race. But Kurt Busch is the winner of the 59th Daytona 500. He was followed to the finish line by Ryan Blaney in second, A.J. Allmendinger third, Eric Almirola in the petty uh, car number four, and Paul Menard finished top five in the um, Richard Childress racing car. Joey Logano was sixth, Casey Kane seventh, Michael Waltrip finished eighth, Matt Benedetto, what a great story he is, finishing ninth, and Trevor Bain finishing tenth. Brendan Gaughan was 11th, Kyle Larson 12th, Martin Truex Jr. 13th, Chase Elliott 14th, Michael McDowell 15th, Landon Castle 16th, Denny Hamlin 17th, Cole Witt wound up 18th, Austin Dillon 19th, Elliott Sandler finished 20th. We'll go through and find some of the big names and let you know where they finished. Um, Kevin Harvick was 22nd. Brad Keselowski was 27th. Jamie McMurray, 28th. Uh, Daniel Suarez, running for Rookie of the Year, was 29th. Ty Ty Dillon, running for Rookie of the Year, was 30th. Clint Boyer, who ran great, he was 32nd. Danica Patrick, 33rd. Jimmy Johnson, 34th. Kyle Busch, 38th. Eric Jones, 39th. Matt Kenseth, 40th. And Dale Jr., 37th. So that's a basic quick recap of the Daytona 500. Who did what? Clayton, um, you were sitting there watching it. What was your uh, thoughts from the seats at Daytona? Well, I think everybody thought, especially in that last run, we were going to get another caution because we had so many all day long, and that fuel mileage wasn't going to be an issue. Uh, and then all of a sudden, with the last 15, 10, 15 laps here, teams come on our radio and say, hey, start conserving. Start saving a little bit of fuel if you can. you got to save me. We're a lap short. And you really didn't think it was going to be that big of an issue because you thought, well, especially for the guys who were, you know, behind in the draft where you might be running three-quarters throttle to stay off the, the guy in front of you. Um, and coincidentally, the guy who ran out first was Chase Elliott, who was leading the pack. And listen, I think Chase is a guy, is a kid who had a really, really good speed week. So that's a tough way to lose a Daytona 500, especially when you had a, had a car where you basically were going to say, you're going to have to move me or wreck me to win this race because I'm not going to let you get by you. And I'm not going to let you get by me. And, and uh, he was able to pull away, you know, and run out of gas. That's frustrating. Um, I thought Kyle Larson, those last eight laps, was unbelievable. I mean, he the moves he made in that target Chevrolet, I mean, there was times where he just sat there, and we were in a stand and heard people just go, wow, because he was that good, he was that fast. And he was able to move through the field that that quickly. He ran out of gas. Martin Truex Jr. has put himself in great position to win the Daytona 500 uh, in the top five there, and he had problems. Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano wanted to back, trying so hard to get an inside lane going, and nobody wanted to go until about four laps to go. And that's when cars started to run out of gas. And luckily for Ryan Blaney, he was about tenth. Coming to the coming to the white flag, and all of a sudden everybody started running out of gas. He comes down the back straightaway, and it looks like Ryan Blaney has a shot at winning this race. But then he started, you know, running out of gas on the back straightaway. Still had enough to make it to the end, but didn't have enough to go after Kurt Busch for the win. And Kurt Busch had enough gas. And a great story for Tony Gibson, a Daytona Beach native, a veteran crew chief in the garage area, been around a long time, worked with Bill Elliott, worked with, uh, you know. Danny Patrick worked with Dale Earnhardt Jr. at DEI um, and was able to go out and win the Daytona 500 at his hometown racetrack. 
uh, with and, and listen, I, this is a team who I've come out and said, I called Matt last week, John, two weeks ago, if you remember, I said I was a little bit disappointed in Kurt Busch's tenure at Stuart Haas Racing because I think Kurt Busch is a great driver. I think Tony Gibson's a great crew chief. I think they got a lot of good things going on. They had Hendrick engines and chassis the last two years, and they really didn't win a whole lot of races. So to come out here and win the Daytona 500 in dramatic fashion like they did, uh, and, and listen, it, it's no slouch. Kurt Busch is a great super speedway racer. We've seen him run really, really well at the super speedways, just haven't been able to win his whole entire career. And he was starting to get, the Bush brothers were starting to get that point to where you're going, are they ever going to win the Daytona 500? Kyle's now 0 for 12. Kurt was 0 for, goodness, 16 or something like that before today. So to go out there and, and win the Daytona 500 in dramatic fashion the way he did, uh, it's awesome to see. And, and I'll tell you something else, John, something that I don't know if a lot of people thought of, but the Monster Energy car winning the first race of the NASCAR Monster Energy Series, or the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series, excuse me, that's something that I'm sure Monster Energy and NASCAR are pretty happy about. I think they are very much. Uh, one of the things that was great about it, listening to Tony Gibson on the post-race show, like you said, he's originally from Daytona Beach, Florida. He's been part of championship crew teams. I mean, he goes back to Alan Kowicki's championship team. He's won the Daytona 500 as part of Jeff Gordon's crew working for Ray Evernham. But to be the crew chief of the Daytona 500 winner when you are a Daytona native, it's got to be paradise for Tony Gibson. Um, it was great to see Ryan Blaney the way he ran. Um, I think that kid is going to be a star in this sport. And so does Roger Penske, or else he wouldn't be helping the Wood Brothers the way he is. All right, now, the one thing that makes things interesting now with all the segments, the way the points go out throughout it, here's the point standings. Kurt Busch won the race. He is your points leader with 56 points. Ryan Blaney finished second. He's second in points. Joey Logano is third in points. Kevin Harvick finished 22nd in the race. He's fourth in points because he got 19 bonus points throughout it. A.J. Allmendinger, fifth. Eric Almirola is sixth. Kyle Larson, seventh. Chase Elliott, eighth. Denny Hamlin, ninth. And Paul Menard, who finished fifth in the race, is 10th in points. So it shows that the uh, segments really mean something, especially as you're heading toward running through the points and everything. So it makes it really interesting as we go forward. Yeah, and, and those 10 extra points also in each uh, Canadian duel was something that I think a lot of people um, didn't realize was going to have a big impact. And they, listen, they have impacts. And, and it was interesting because – the, there were not as many teams sitting in the back, even Kevin Harvick. You know, we've seen Kevin Harvick play the I'm going to kind of sit back and let these cars wreck game and then I'll <laughs> collect, wait for the attrition and get back to the front. And he didn't do that today. You know, we've seen Kevin Harvick do that several times. We didn't see a lot of teams do that today. I think you saw that from maybe the teams that uh, are smaller budgeted teams, teams that aren't running for points like Elliott Sadler, maybe the first part of that race, Brendan Gaughan, the first part of that race. Michael Waltrip seemed to do that. You know, he always seemed to miss the wrecks today. That's why he ended up eighth. Matthew Benedetto got into wrecks at a damaged race car. He finished ninth. Um, but, you know, there was a lot. Of, it's, it's amazing thinking of Daytona and, again, how many hours and in, in weeks these teams spent in the wind tunnel getting their cars as, as sleek and as, you know, perfect as possible to go through the wind at a high speed. And these cars had so much damage on them. Trevor Bain had his back end uh, taped together. He didn't have a whole piece on there, and he ended up 10th. You know, so uh, it, it basically, if you could fix your car and get out there, you had a top 25 finish. David Reagan finished 12 laps down, got in the wreck early, ended up 25th. He was the last r car running at the racetrack. We had 15 cars in the garage area, 14 cars in the garage area. So uh, kind of a high attrition rate when you look at that. And those are part of the new rules, John, the new rules where you have the five-minute clock, and uh, when you go to the garage area, you're not allowed to bring it out. So um, I think that had a lot to do with this weekend as well, where you know, first taste of that, first taste of, of, of sort of the new uh, five-minute rule and not allowed to, to fix, put body pieces on your car. An interesting weekend. We didn't really see anything major. I think the Xfinity Series was maybe the worst one. As far as that five minutes clock where people tried to sort of get away with, you know, not fixing your car right, 
it should be very interesting to see how that clock and everything moves forward, John, as we get through the, the, the coming weeks. I thought it was one of the better Daytona 500s over the past few years. It's been a snore fest for the past couple years where everybody just goes single file and then it's like, okay, 10 to go. Let's see what we can do with it. Um, they get mix it up early. Then they'd sit and run for a while. Then they mix it up at the end. At least this time they were at least mixing it up the different segments. And there were some people being stupid whenever they shouldn't have been. But I, mean, I think it was one of the better uh, Daytona 500s we've had in a while. Uh, 917-889-8280 if you want to join the conversation. Randy and or Ryan in Virginia, sorry we didn't get to you right away. Hope you call back. Um, let's go to the Xfinity race, Clayton. It, that, I mean, you know my thoughts of plate racing. You might as well just say smash up derby. I mean, I still remember the old smoke quote wherever he said, uh, I don't think we smashed up enough cars today. I think we ought to turn them back, make them go backwards, uh, make a figure eight out of it. Uh, I'm not pleased unless I have a quarter million dollars worth of damage going in. If you're an Xfinity owner, you had a quarter million dollars worth of damage going in because they played smash up derby yesterday. Oh, absolutely. And I tell you, they, there was a lot of wrecks in that Xfinity Series race yesterday. A lot of wrecks in the Truck Series race as well, and even today. But, you know, I think the Xfinity Series, and a lot of people were kind of killing them this week about how bad the wrecks were and how everything was going on. Uh, I think that what was very underrated in that race was the fact that they had a smaller – people forget that. The spoilers were a little bit, uh, you know, smaller on the car. They were a little bit – they were cut down a little bit shorter. And I really think it, it hurt the downforce in these race cars, and that these drivers weren't really used to that. You know, you had a, an inc- incident where I remember where um, Daniel Hemrick, who's a great young driver, just lost it in the turn three and caused a humongous wreck. Um, and I think you could point to that as the fact that these guys aren't used to these smaller spoilers yet. you got to remember, these cars in the Xfinity Series, you could bump draft through the center of the corner and they wouldn't go anywhere. You could hold on to the bat. You know, you could tandem draft with these Xfinity Series cars and and hold on to them last year because of the way the bumpers lined up and the way that the, how much downforce they had on these cars. Now, all of a sudden, when you were bump drafting through the corner, they caused wrecks. And I think for these Xfinity Series teams and drivers, it was kind of a whoa kind of thing because they weren't used to that. Uh, and Ryan Reed, I thought, did a great job at the end of that race. Um, you know, he's a guy who's had a had a, t- a tough time over at Roush Fenner Racing. There's no doubt about it. I think he's been very disappointing there in that 16 car over the last couple of years. But I thought he ran that Xfinity race on, on Saturday fantastic. He was up front. He he uh, used the draft to his to his advantage. He beat Casey Kane, Austin Dillon, and Brad Keselowski. I mean, those are, those guys, those three names right there are all Cup Series veterans who are running for Cup points and, and are contenders for a championship in the Cup Series. And when you do that, that's impressive. And I thought it was a very – yeah, he dodged some wrecks and got lucky a little bit, but you have to go lucky to win a play race. And I thought he did a very good job um, on, on Saturday, even though, it, like I said, it's been a very disappointing two years for Rashford Racing and, and Ryan Reed. But for him to do that, what he did on Saturday, I thought it was a, a pretty impressive race for him. I think when it comes to Ryan Reed, I think he's uh, been okay at Roush Fenway Racing. The problem is, I I wonder if it's how much of its driver, how much of its equipment. Because as you saw in the Cup Series, the Roush Fenway Racing has fallen way behind when it came to everybody else in the Cup Series. And it seemed like they started drifting back in the Xfinity Series as well. They've been getting pounded by Penske. They've been getting pounded by Junior Motorsports. Um they're like a, and they get pounded by Richard Childers racing. They're like a third, fourth best team when it comes to the Xfinity series. So some of it, I'm not sure if it's the equipment, some of it, I'm not sure if it's a driver, but Ryan Reed has two wins in his Xfinity career. And both of them have been at Daytona. Um, The rest of the top 10, when it comes to yesterday, as you said, Ryan Reed, Boy, he, he the last few laps, the way he was managing both lanes and going back and forth, and I think coming out of turn two on the last lap where Casey had a, had a run on him, and he came down with Casey and uh, blocked him perfectly without 
cutting them off or anything. It was a very good run. Casey Kane second, Austin Dillon third, Brad Keselowski fourth, Brendan Gaughan fifth. Scott Legacy Jr. was sixth, and he caused one of the pileups uh, where he was sort of bump drafted a little early, and the, the they were saying on the coverage that the bumpers don't line up like they used to, and Legacy kind of threw a shot on somebody and caused one of the pileups. Joey Gase was seventh. Garrett Smithley was eighth. William Byron ninth, and Harrison Rhodes rounded out the top ten yesterday. Some of the other people you want to pay attention to, Matt Tift was 11th. Blake Koch was 15th. Ross Chastain was 16th. Um, Elliot Sadler was 24th. Brendan Poole was 26th. Uh, Brandon Jones, that wreck he had, that was scary. Uh, he hit the wall. It looked almost the same way uh, Dale Sr. hit the wall. He finished 29th, Allgaier 30th, Daniel Hembrick was 31st, Bubba Wallace 33rd, Spencer Gallagher 36th, Cole Custer 37th, and your last place finisher was David Starr in the 99. But, I mean, again, the Xfinity race was a smash-up derby, um, and we sort of expected it, but part of it, like you said, taking that spoiler, uh, cutting it down, sort of put the driver back into it. And some of these guys, their talent doesn't match the equipment that they have. Well, yeah. And I, I think that's part of it. I just think that they're not used to it. I mean, when you think about, you know, Blake Cook, for example, he's one of the Xfinity series the last four or five years, and he's used to the push drafting that, that's been able to go on there. And now that you tell him, oh, you're not allowed to, not only can you not push draft, but you can't even bump through the corner you got to get used to that mentality in this Xfinity series. Sure, Austin Dillon, Casey Kane, Brad Keselowski, and those guys, you know, they're used to it to how they run in the Cup series. But as as far as, you know, these Xfinity series guys who run full-time, I, I think it's a different – it was a different ball game this this weekend. And I'll tell you a guy who I was really impressed with was Joey Gase. You know, I love that team. Obviously, if, if you've got a soft spot in your heart for the smaller uh, organizations in the Xfinity series – Joey Gase is the guy you root for because he's got he runs for former independent cup driver Jimmy Means in the Xfinity Series. They don't have a ton of sponsorship on that car, but they do the best they can. And when they come to these play tracks, they always seem to be there. And an eighth-place run for that team in that spot, uh, excuse me, seventh-place run for that team in that spot is really unbelievable. Garrett Smithley as well, driving for JD Motorsports, another team that um, – is underfunded. It doesn't have a ton of funding. They're, they're not a cup affiliated team. They go out there and have two cars finishing the top 10 with Garrett Smith leading eight and Harrison Rhodes in 10th. Great run for them as well. So it was nice to see, even though there was a lot of carnage, it was nice to see a couple of those teams. Even Garrett, I think Garrett Smith had his whole back end of the car basically off of it. Um, but it was nice to see those teams out there uh, really, really, um, run good, have a good run, and have a good point stay for them. Uh, Friday night, we were talking about it on our show this past week. Uh, we expected the truck race to be the best race of the night, and they didn't even make it through the first lap before they were crashing them up. Um, Kaz Grala, 18-year-old rookie, is your winner. Austin Wayne Self second, Chase Briscoe third, John Hunter Nemechek fourth, Joe Nemechek fifth, um, the rest of the top 10, Regan Smith, Scott Legacy Jr., Christopher Bell, J.J. Yaley, and Myatt Snyder. That was your top 10 in the uh, Camping World Truck Series on Friday night. And the last lap, Clayton, I can only imagine the view whenever you see um, Matt Crafton do the somersault in midair and come down on the tires. Yeah, it was... It was almost surreal because, you know, you're paying attention to the lead pack. And listen, I thought Crafton before that. I thought Crafton ran a great race. Matt Crafton on these play tracks seems to always know when to sort of back off and when to push. And he was back, he backed off for a little bit for the majority of that race saying, you know what, they're getting a little crazy up there. Let's not go up there. Dodged a couple of wrecks. Led took the lead going coming to the white flag and a great move and he sat there and said, Holy crow, here's Matt Crafton, a veteran, smart veteran to go out there, knows how to draft, knows how to use the draft, being really, really smart, 
he's going to go up and he's going to win this truck series race. And Johnny Sawyer tried to make it three wide, which you don't blame him trying to go for the win. Uh, you know, every, everything go anything goes on the last lap there. Caused some, you know, caused the I can't I don't know exactly exactly what happened to cause a big wreck. But like you said, Crafter went on his roof, flipped over. Kaz Grala was able to get by and 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 get the victory with Austin Wayne self finishing second. Um, but you know, it was an amazing, you know, shock because. You're watching Crafton go for the lead, and all of a sudden, you just see the 88 truck flipping in the midair, and, you, and it really scared you because I thought for sure it was going to go sort of into the catch fence like we saw with crashes like, uh, you know, at Daytona with Joey Coulter's wreck in the truck series a couple of years ago. Austin Dillon had a wreck in the, in the cup series in, in the catch fence. Obviously, there's no stands anymore on the back straightaway, but still, catch fence accident is very, very scary, um, and... It turned out to be, you know, he landed on, you know, he landed on a racetrack, and for sure I thought Crafton was going to get up wobbly. He walked out of that truck, and that's a, 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 you know, kudos to NASCAR because they really, really do well with safety, and, and that's why Crafton was able to walk away. But it was a crazy, crazy sight. I mean, it had to be close to what, what people saw when Rusty Wallace flipped the '93 at Daytona. Uh, it had to be close to that because. Whenever you see a car go, whoa, that's higher than what it normally should be on the back stretch, where I can read the entire truck up in the air, it was a scary sight. But thankfully, Matt Crafton walked away uh, and uh, ended up with a 14th place finish there. But, um, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse for sure. That's one thing that uh, we all have to be thankful for. We love watching the sport. We see the carnage that happens uh, whenever there are these restrictor plate tracks and as many cars as we saw today, there were 35 cars out of the 40 that ran the cup race today in the Daytona 500 had some sort of damage, but all 40 drivers went home to their families and they'll be battling to go to Atlanta this week. Uh, 917-889-8280 is the number. If you want to join the conversation, uh, Lee in Virginia is on the line. Lee, welcome to talking in circles. It's always good to have you, uh, your thoughts on the Daytona 500 and speed weeks. I thought it was an, an, an interesting speed weeks, um, you know, no no shortage of entertainment. I think that anybody who thought that these stages weren't going to work, at least for the plate races, um, realized that these were a good thing. Uh, at the plate tracks, there's no question there was a there's a lot of there was used to be a lot of sandbagging that would go on. A lot of times, drivers would sit in the back and wait for their turn for 400 miles. They'd run single file. They weren't doing that today. They didn't do that all weekend, so I thought that was interesting, and I thought it was I thought it was a great job there by NASCAR to do that. And then we'll see how these stages go on here at Atlanta and, and in the future. But um, it did, though. I will say this: the stages did, though, make the Daytona 500 a few mileage race. Now, whether or not you enjoy a few mileage race, I think that's one thing. Now, um, next time we go to Talladega and next time we go to Daytona, obviously teams didn't make it on gas, so you may not see them push it as much. So NASCAR really shouldn't do anything because they have a tendency to overcompensate. But overall, I think it was a very good speed weeks. Kurt Busch wins the Daytona 500. Um, a driver who, you know, obviously had alluded him to so many times. We all remember him uh, in 2004 running third in that race, well, running third in line in that race when he was a lap down and could never get his lap back. So um, a, a great weekend, I thought, an interesting weekend. And NASCAR uh, hit a home run this with these stages and, and with the with the speed weeks overall. Uh, one thing with Kurt Busch, he has the best driver rating on restrictor plate tracks of all the drivers on in the field right now. And it, he was sort of get like uh, Clayton said earlier, he sort him and Kyle Busch both are starting to get like uh, Tony Stewart was going to be, where you're going to have this great career, but is the Daytona 500 going to escape you? But finally, Kurt Busch, who, I mean, the one year it was him and Tony Stewart, and they were, nobody was near them. And it was like 60 laps in, they're going into turn four, and both of them crash into each other because they, Tony got a little loose and they uh, took each other out. And when Ryan Newman won the Daytona 500, it was Kurt Busch pushing him to the victory. So mm -hmm. Kurt Busch has been a phenomenal restrictor plate racer throughout his career. It's just this one always escaped him. And it, this one had every chance to. Whenever you go to the museum at Daytona and you see this car, 
I mean, I don't think there's a spot on it where there isn't some sort of damage or some sort of work that's been done. I mean, you can see the hood, you can see the driver's side, you can see the pass. I mean, the passenger side. There's very little on that car that hasn't been messed up with. Yeah, and that's what makes it to me even more incredible is that you know if you told me coming in today, Tony, we're gonna have this much carnage, this many wrecks. I mean, there was a time where I thought for a second, and no disrespect to Cole Whip, but I thought Cole Witt would have a pretty darn good shot at making the Daytona five, winning the Daytona 500. And I'm going, Cole Witt? I mean, who would have thought that coming into the Speed Weeks? He ended up finishing 18th because he ran out of gas. But he had a very good Speed Week. And, and when I think of Speed Weeks, guys, you know, and John, I want your opinion on this. Um, I think of winners and losers. Who do you think, you know, I, I think as far as winners are concerned, like we said, Ford Motor Company, I thought uh, Stuart House Racing had a great weekend. I thought... Team Penske, for the most part, obviously, Brad Keselowski, another one who had a great, fast race car, but but Daytona 500 escaped him. Uh, I thought some, some winners there, some losers. I wasn't very impressed with what we saw from Toyota Camp this week or Richard Childress Racing. I thought both of them were kind of a little bit um, down, as you could say. You know, I, I think, obviously, Menard finishing in the fifth spot and, and Almendinger in, in third, is impressive for those guys, but for the majority, you know, they they didn't seem very fast out there. Um, and the Toyotas, you know, virtual racing, they had a heck of a weekend just getting through inspection most of the time. Between Daytona 500 qualifying and inspection and, and uh, the dual inspection and, and the clash inspection, you know, it was a lost weekend, and, and Eric Jones had a tough weekend as well. So um, kind of a lost weekend for Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota. They got to get back on track here before we head to Atlanta. Yeah, I think <clears throat> excuse me, without without a doubt, the winner this weekend is Ford Racing. Um, every one of them was fast. I mean, Clint Boyer was up there Dyson for the lead. Danica was up there Dyson for the lead. Um, and she said afterwards, even though she won the pole her rookie year and finished in the top 10 her rookie year, she said this is the most comfortable she's ever felt in a cup car. And for her sake, considering we both have said um, this is scary on her part of whether or not she deserves to still be in that ride, especially with the sponsorship pulling out. This is make or break year for her. And if she's starting to feel comfortable in the car, I think that'll be good for her. It'll be good for uh, Stuart Haas Racing to possibly bring more sponsorship in. I think the loser today, Jamie McMurray. I mean, he was putting he was putting people into places he shouldn't have at the wrong times. I mean, yeah, I understand you you're there to race, but don't go four wide going into turn three with sixty laps to go. I mean, don't do that. That's not you got to to finish first. You must first finish, and you're not going to finish if you go four wide into turn three. It's impossible. Um, I think Daniel Suarez and the Toyota camp, like you said, I think their strategy was wrong. Like you said, the Joe Gibbs racing teams, they have the pit crews to do it. They have the speed to do it. They didn't have to do this as a road course to try to get themselves in the right spot of stages and everything. It worked for Kyle Busch to win stage one, but it put them behind the eight ball in stage two. And it was going to be a struggle if they kept that strategy up. Um, I think Kevin Harvick, just showed how good a driver he is and how scary it can be if the Ford setup wrecks stump doing chassis for Stuart Haas. That could be scary. The other winners I have for this weekend, I have Matt, B- Matt D. Benedetto as a winner. I mean, pulling out a top 10 finish after he got into a couple of it. Uncle Brenny, Brendan Gone, finished 11th. In the Beard Oil Distributing Chevrolet, a team that just got thrown together toward the end, he qualified, and he, he was up there most of the day. I mean, he, avo- he got into a couple of the things, a couple of the mayhem, but, I mean, he came out as a winner, and I think Cole Witt leading the Daytona 500, even though he finished a lap down because he ran out of gas, but he led the Daytona 500, and I think that is a big win. Lee and Virginia, what do you think some of your winners and losers are from the Daytona 500? Well, my losers are going to go with Hendrick Motorsports. Um, you know, obviously, Jimmy did not have a great speed week. He crashed in the he crashed in the dual races. He crashed in in uh, the clash. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. wrecked today. Uh, Chase Elliott was good, but ran out of gas. But the one guy that I'm really extremely disappointed in is Casey Kane. I know he finished seventh, 
but at the end of that race, you heard Ryan Blaney and you heard Joey Logano complain that drivers weren't getting out of line, and you understood why some of the guys would. You know, Eric Amarola is with Richard Petty Motorsports, and they had a very tough year last year, and I think they're still recovering from that. And just by being there on Thursday night like I was, you could tell that that 43 car wasn't the best race car there. Almarola was just lucky to be running fourth. Um, but if you're at Hendrick Motorsports and you have Casey Kane and you're a driver, that car, no doubt about it, is good enough to win the race. And for Casey Kane to stay there in the top lane and not even attempt to get out of line to go win the Daytona 500, to me, if I was Rick Hendrick, I would walk up to him and, and fire him right now. I mean, that's how upset I would be at that race because you're not out there to win. You've had three, two, two or three years there where you've really struggled, and people have been questioning whether or not you even belong in that five car. And you have a chance today to shut everybody up and go out there and try and make a move to go win the Daytona 500. You got a good enough car to go do it, and you don't even get on line to make the move. I'm sorry, I am extremely disappointed in that one. Uh, my winners, um, I, I, you know. I go with JTG Dory Racing because initially when the speed week started, we saw how not good that uh, Chris Buescher looked in the um, in the clash. But by the time Daytona rolled around, Chris Buescher had been a great run today before he got wrecked. He might have finished in, in the in the points in one of the two segments. That's how stages. That's how good he was doing. Uh, AJ Allmendinger ended up third. He had, he ended up great in his dual race, but but uh, got penalized for it. Toyota Camp, no question, big loser as well. I think. Something that gets underrated there is the absence of Carl Edwards. Carl Edwards is a great plate racer, um, and he's not there any longer. Clayton made a great point before about Daniel Suarez and Eric Jones never really learning how to do the regular draft because they've just been an Xfinity learning the tandem draft. So this new draft to them is something that they've never done before. And Matt Kenseth is very spooked, I think, about what happened to him last year in the Daytona 500, being trained to by his teammate there on the last lap because he did not look good all weekend long, the only Gibbs car that was competitive was Hamlin. Every other car there wasn't very good. Um, and I'll tell you, if I were them, I'd go back to the drawing board because their plate program didn't look great this weekend. Um, and you got to wonder the rookie drivers not having Carl Edwards there um, really, really hurt that organization. Yeah, I mean, I think when I think when you look at the Toyota camp, it, it's They've been the top, as far as horsepower goes, they've been on top of the game for the last year and a half. And uh, it seemed like th- this week, just based on horsepower alone, that Ford has really, really closed the gap. And, uh, you know, obviously it, it helps that they have really a really, really good race team in their stable now with Stuart Haas Racing. You know, last year was obviously just Team Penske and Roush Fenway. And, and Roush Fenway is a team, obviously, who has underperformed the last three years. They sort of, we sort of saw some life from them a little bit. I didn't really care for, I don't really care for Stenhouse's approach to these plate races. I feel like he likes to hang in the back, and he always seems to, it always seems to bite him. Um, but Bain was up there running pretty well. They were fast and qualifying, um, so we saw some speed out of the four camp, no doubt about it. I even think you saw some speed out of David Reagan this, this weekend, the front row motorsports team. Um, you know, obviously Reagan made a couple mistakes in speed weeks that hurt him, but. Uh, it was a very good weekend for Ford. And if they can close that gap on, on Toyota and Chevrolet and sort of get that manufacturing championship back to where they want it to be, because I think Chevrolet has won that manufacturing championship for something like 10 consecutive years. It hasn't even been a, a, a conversation because of, of how much Chevrolet has dominated. So to get that manufacturing uh, championship Ford camp, I think would be huge for them. And it starts with, with this weekend in Daytona. I felt they had a really really strong speed weeks. I really do. Yeah, I think uh, Ford's going to be in good shape this year. I think the move, uh, I think they poured a boatload of money. They backed up the Brinks truck to get Stuart Haas Racing involved. Um, And the one thing, Chevy won the Manufacturers Championship from 03 to 15. Toyota got their first one last year, but I think Ford stands in good shape to get the Manufacturers Championship this year. Um, one of the things, a couple as we go through some of the big stories from out here, I think the biggest story coming out of Speed Weeks is Dale Jr. came through unscathed. He was in a wreck. He came through. He's going to be fine. I think Dale Jr. coming out of the um, accident and being able to go to Atlanta, 
um, just having Junior back on the track was helpful. I think that was a big story coming through here. I think another one of the big stories as we have going forward is the sponsorship issues at Stuart Haas Racing. I think Danica's uh, getting Aspen Dental to step up a little bit, but Nature's Bakery lawsuit's going on. Um, Tony said flat out, Clint Boyer, there's a lot of inventory to sell on that 14 car. And that 14 car showed it can run today. Uh, Clint Boyer's really hungry. He wants to do well in that 14 car, and I think he will be fine. They just need some sponsorship there. Another one of the uh, big stories I think that came out of this week is how quick the owners have popped up to say that the Wall Street Journal piece we talked about earlier this week, Clayton, that the Wall Street Journal piece was 100% wrong. NASCAR's fine. Roger Penske said NASCAR's fine. Joe Gibbs said NASCAR's fine. Then they come out with two big sponsor announcements with Joey Logano with Shell Pennzoil and Denny Hamlin with FedEx. I don't think the sport's fine, but when you have the owners coming out saying, yeah, it's fine because they're trying to get sponsorship, I think that's where the uh, issue is. Clayton, your thoughts? Well, I think you have to sort of take it with a, like I do with everything, I think you have to think about who says it. And I think Speed Weeks in general, Daytona 500 today, was a very good step in the right direction for NASCAR. Um, But it's just a small part of it. You know, if you go to Atlanta and you have sort of a a disaster there, um, as far as as performance and as far as entertainment goes, you you could lose a lot of your fans. The momentum you have from Daytona, you could lose that. So, obviously, I think it's still the ball, the jury's still out. Listen, they wouldn't have made these changes to the stages and to the format if they, if everything was grand. That's the thing you have to keep in mind. They made these changes because they knew something was going on. I think there was pressure from the TV companies to do it. I think TV uh, wants the natural breaks in there. I think they weren't thrilled with what the ratings are, that were coming in for these races, and I think they forced their hand, sort of. And for, you know, obviously Joe Gibbs Racing, who's um, got a four-car conglomerate organization as, as a big-time team, has all the charters, they're going to tell you, hey, these charters are great. But NASCAR sold very well this week as far as the Daytona 500 goes. It was sold out, packed. The stands were packed. I thought it was a little bit disappointing crowd for the Xfinity trucks. I thought the duels were a little bit disappointing. And we had earlier in the week we talked about how the crowd was disappointing for the clash. Um, but as far as the Daytona 500 was concerned, it was good, but they need this momentum to build it. And, again, you have to think about where they came from because these owners are thrilled with this charter system. But who loses out ultimately are the fans because we don't see a competitive dual race very much as far as the Daytona, who makes the Daytona 500 anymore. They, yeah, two cars went home, and there was a little bit of an interest in the dual race this, year, this week as far as Corey LaJoy taking out Reed Sorensen. But other than that, it wasn't a very interesting race as far as who makes the Daytona 500. And that's because of the chartering system. And, yeah, it's better for these owners because they make more money in the end and they get more of a, um, you know, a guarantee to be in the field. But ultimately, the fans pay the price for that. What's good for the owners might not be what's good for the fans. So for them to come out and say, well, everything's good, sure, from their perspective it is. But it might not be good for the fans. So just keep that in mind. There are some things that they enjoy that the fans might not like. Let's get Lee and Virginia's thoughts on this. Lee? Yeah, I think Clayton sort of hit the nail on the head right there. It's easy for you to sit there and be an owner and talk about how wonderful things are when you have a charter and you have four charters and and things are going your way. Um, But it's, not necessarily what the owners think about the sport. It's what the fans think about the sport because Clayton's right. There wasn't a lot of people there at the stands this week, and and the owners were the ones. Listen, a lot of the changes that have happened here in the last 15 years have been because of the owners. The owners, there's no doubt in my mind, were behind the reconfiguration of Bristol Motor Speedway. They didn't want to tear up equipment, go in there, and look what that's done. It's destroyed Bristol. Bristol's nowhere near the same as it used to be. We don't enjoy it as much because the owners are happy because they're not going there and tearing up equipment every single week. Um, But 
they didn't get what they wanted, obviously. And, and you heard Austin Dillon walk away yesterday from the Xfinity race crying, going, well, these owners, they're not going to want to do this because we can't keep tearing up equipment. Well, not every owner, not every driver's owner is their grandfather. And, you know, it was entertaining for the fans. And at these plate races, if you're going to have, if you're going to have guys, and, and Richard Children's Racing is very, Rich Children Racing is very guilty of this, if you're going to have guys come in here and buy rides, that don't necessarily get the rides because of the talent, then you're going to subject yourself to wrecking and crashing and destroying equipment. That's just what's going to happen. So these owners, need, you know, NASCAR needs to, to look at it and say, okay, well, what do the fans want? And how healthy is it from a fan's perspective? Ratings going down. You guys know where I work. You guys know my connections. I know the first time that I was told about this system with the with the segment, with the stages, was in late December, probably a week before Christmas. And they told me, that the source told me, that the TV companies gave NASCAR no choice. That NASCAR had no choice. It was either this or you're out of the TV deal. And so NASCAR had to do this. And they got this. So to say that, you know, oh, well, the sport's thriving – well, if it's doing that well, how come your TV owners are putting in that – TV companies are putting in that box? And the TV companies are pretty much funding the sport now because, I mean, we still have the question of how much the Monster Energy sponsorship's really worth. I mean, the Wall Street Journal said it's $20 million a year. You can't sponsor Dale Jr.'s car for the cost of the series sponsorship. I mean, Dale Jr. costs $30, 35000000 million to be his sponsor for the year. And – Monster Energy's got the whole series for $20 million. So the sport is not in the great shape that you're going to hear everybody say it's going to be. I think it's not as bad as the Wall Street Journal pitched it as, but I know it's not all rainbows and butterflies that you heard from Roger Penske and Joe Gibbs this week. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it's more toward the Wall Street Journal side than it is the rainbows and butterflies that we're getting out of NASCAR. I think there's a lot of work to be done. I still want to know where the next batch of ownership's going to come from because you've got your Roger Penske's 80. Rick Hendrickson in his upper 60s hitting 70s. Uh, Jack Roush is up there in years. Where's this next batch of ownership going to come from? And are they going to be racers or are they going to be your people like the Rob Kaufman's who are investment bankers and the minute their money is not doing well for them, they're going to pull it out and go to somebody else with it. Like he did with Michael Waltrip racing where he decided he's going to invest in Chip Ganassi. So that's where you got to wonder what's the future of the sport. Well, I think as far as the owners are concerned, you know, it is a little bit of a concern, but I think they have exit plans. It was a very interesting article. I believe it was a couple of weeks ago that got some flack about, Carlos Flynn possibly possibly buying into Joe Gibbs Racing, and I, I've heard that Edwards going to Dodge has picked up a little bit of steam recently. Again, you can take that with how you want to take it, because we're still so far away from that being from that happening. Whether Carlos Flynn buys into Joe Gibbs Racing, who knows? But that's what I think you're going to have to see is you're going to have to see these these owners have exit plans. You know, Jack Roush, he's going to have to figure out. You know, who's going to be take over Roush Fenner Racing when he's no longer around? Um, you know, Richard Childress, I'm sure he's got an exit plan, whether it's Mike Dillon who takes over that, who's a prominent figure in that organization. And you sit there and you go, well, he's also my son-in-law, so I trust him to run the reins. Um, Richard Petty, listen, Richard Petty is no, no young guy anymore. He's turning 80 or has turned 80, you know, this year. So, you know, he's going to be in his 80s. And when you think about that, you go, you know, he's, uh, you got to think about whether what his exit plan is. Obviously, Richard's a minority owner there. Clayton, final thought from you. About where these, you have to think about where these owners come from. No doubt about it. Yep. Clayton, let's get some final, one final thought from you. We're less than a minute left in the show. Well, I think, when you think about the speed, we think the 500 was, was a win. I think it was a, a great finish. I think it was interesting. I think you saw a lot of good good racing. Um, but, again, what with with these stages and with this five-minute clock, we're going to really figure it out at Atlanta and Las Vegas. Everybody's been saying, wait, wait, wait. Let's wait and see what they do because Atlanta and Vegas are going to be very interesting with this five-minute clock 
and with these stages. No doubt about it. I think it will be interesting this week in Atlanta. We'll see how it goes there. Uh, Clayton Caldwell and I will join you later this week for another edition of Talking in Circles. I want to thank Lee in Virginia for all the help he gave us this evening. Uh, we'll talk to you later this week. Kurt Bush is the winner of the Daytona 500. Good night, everybody. <laughs>